Second part and final of session 85. Let's talk here about the balance between compassion and wisdom. Let's begin. In this last part, we're also going to talk about pre-veil conditions and the post-veil changes, most important changes for polarization. So that's another topic that it's going to be included here. In the last video, when I started this session, I realized that we're going to finish this in two sessions. So I sort of finished a line of questions that Don had. Uh, there was an issue with the service to others word that was actually used service to self, actually service to others, and they were talking about service to self. So it was a little messy, but we finished that episode with uh, clarification from Ra saying we made a mistake. In essence, they didn't say it, but um, yeah, there is a, there's going to be another question by Don here. We only have two more big questions or big answers. So um, the other questions are going to be sort of minor. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to mention that because the first question that we have here, which I didn't cover last episode, uh, it's still talking about this issue. They were talking about how um, polarization happens. I believe it was, I'm probably making things up at this point. Um, but yeah, no, they were talking about how um, energy centers, I think it was, and then, uh, yeah, how service to others is the one that uh, uses green ray, whereas a service to self path doesn't use it. So the whole discussion is there. I, I don't want to confuse it even further with my, um, my lack of memory. But yeah, so that's it. They were talking about the service itself path. They made an error. Instead of saying service itself, they said service to others. And Don, after a couple of questions, caught the mistake, uh, mentioned it to Ra, and Ra said, no, uh, we were talking about service to self. Um, apologies for that. So, all right, let's get into the first question that I have here. And that is question 14, yes. Question 14, uh, Don says, I'm just interested in the problem here that we sometimes have with transmission. Since the word others was used three times in the transmission rather than the word self. And could you give me an idea of the problem of communication that we had there that creates that type of an anomaly, which if I didn't catch, could create a rather large discrepancy in communication. And I love Don's question here. This is you know, Don being very, um, very demanding of what's happening. Why are these mistakes happening? So Ross says, firstly, we may note the clumsiness of language and our unfamiliarity with it in our native, shall we say, experience. Secondly, we may point out that once we have miscalled or misnumbered an event or thing, that reference is quite likely to be reused for some transmission time as you call this measurement, due to our original error having gone undetected by ourselves. Shame on you, Ra. Shame on you. No excuses. Just kidding. Um, so, yeah, this represents, to me, a couple of things. And one is that um, it's always better to trust yourself, you see. Um, it's all that, that's why I, I, I feel personally that the best way to flow in life is by uh, whatever comes to you and you feel appropriate because um, the, there is no mediator there is no thought in between what you want to do and what you do spontaneity uh, a lot of people fear this because, well, we have been uh, um, indoctrinated into 
using the mind, uh, acculturated into um, the the use of the intellect constantly for figuring out what we want to do. So yeah, I would say that's that's a very safe way to to be, um, and you don't depend on on any information that comes to your mind and you start chewing on it but yeah this why this show this because again Ra and I think uh, Don is going to talk about this so I won't mention this yet and I'll just reinforce it when it comes when that question comes I think um, I don't know if it's at the end let me figure it out is it at the end yeah it's it's totally to the end so I'll forget <laughs> Um, but we'll reinforce it. The point is that Ra is simply a... I'm just hesitant to call it an entity because I, I feel like we create these bubbles of people out there that don't, don't really exist. Uh, Ra is a consciousness resource, is a mind that has become a sort of resource for others. That's their service. Uh, much like any social memory complex, that's their purpose. They become resources for uh, third density, mostly, uh, and of course, fourth and fifth density, if you're sixth density. So they, they become like sort of universal bubbles of information that don't know it all, of course, uh, but they share whatever uh, they have. It's almost like, um, for example, if you find a wise man, or a woman, for that matter, um, you it, it, they're not going to give you new knowledge. They're only going to wake up in you that which you already know, but have uh, quote-unquote forgotten, you see? So their information is just stimulating. See, their bubble of experience is able to stimulate in you that which you already know. That's what Ra is. See, we can call it an entity, I guess that's fine, but um, yeah, I won't get into the details of how I see reality, but um, it's fine, we can, we can call it an entity. But the point is that they, because the level, the dimension in which they exist, Communication is very difficult. It's very difficult to communicate. It's almost like we trying, we are trying to communicate to animals. Um, you know, and that's just a, a density below us. Uh, and we do a pretty good job. We train them and we show them how to do things, but try to convey complex messages from us is kind of difficult. So we have to translate a lot. Uh, it's a very poor analogy, but I hope you get the point. There are many things that they are trying to translate into our own terms and that's why they say you know first the clumsy clumsiness of language and also their unfamiliarity with it um, because of their native experience so the way they experience reality they express it in a different language than us kind of makes sense uh, second is that once they make a mistake basically it is probably it's uh, very probable that it will continue to happen. They have done this in the past, like when they said, I think it was 3,600 years before or something like that, and it was actually 2,600 years. So, or the opposite, I don't remember the numbers. See, even I forget. <laughs> so, uh, it's they, they'll continue to use the same mistake, and that's because they haven't catch it yet. So. All right, that's that's it. Uh, there's not much to say. Like I said, I'll reinforce why it is um, it's so difficult for them also to transmit information, and that's why the sessions were so demanding on Carla and everybody else, really. Uh, but we'll get to that. Let's move to the next question. Don asks, question fifteen. Thank you. Do you have use of all of the words in the English language and, for that matter, all of the words in all languages that are spoken upon this planet at this time? Ra says, no. Which is kind of interesting. This is a very late follow-up question to when Don asked if Ra was using Carla's 
language or vocabulary to talk or if they were using their own language. And Ross said that they had their own database of the English language. Um, but they confirmed that Carla had, of course, a lot, very good vocabulary too. So this is, like I said, a sort of follow-up question to, um, to that. And it's if they know, but the thing is that Don's question was, do you know every single word of every single language? Um, they seem to be very well versed in English, I have to say. I mean, they use terms that I have been learning because of reading the material. So, um, again, I, I know English is my second language, but still, it's, um, it's an impressive uh, use of the language too. That's another thing that they, this material is revered for is that they didn't use repetitive language. They use every single word very surgical. All right, a couple of here, here and there, but most of it, it's been, it was, I would say 95% or more was perf perfect surgical use of the words. So, okay, we move for the next question, which is the, the first long one. And I move too fast. There it is. Question 16, Don says, I have a question here from Jim. It states, I believe that one of my prim primary pre-incarnative choices was to open my green ray energy center for healing purposes. As I see my compassion developing, is it more appropriate to balance this compassion with wisdom in my healing exercises or to allow the compassion to develop as much as possible without being balanced? It's a good question and we get a very long answer here, so let's begin. Ross says, this query borders upon that type of question to which answers are unavailable to due to the free will prohibitions upon information from teach learners. To the student of the balancing process, we may suggest that the most stringent honesty be applied. As compassion is perceived, it is suggested that in balancing, this perception be analyzed. It may be or may take many, many essays into compassion before true universal love is the product of the attempt opening and crystallization of this all-important springboard energy center. So first of all, they give the warning that uh, this question is too close to infringement on free will. And I think it's because first, Jim is talking about his healing purpose. He came here to uh, develop as a healer. We can see that 40 something years after uh, he, as far as I know, he didn't become a healer, right? Um, unless we add in, of course, that his work, his, um, his way of communicating the law of one and talking and sharing with others is healer. Um, it's healing, but uh, yeah, I guess that could be said, but I don't think that's what Jim was talking about here. And yet it is a crucial part of everybody, development of heart chakra, right? So that's exactly what we're talking about here. And, and Ra says, okay, so we cannot speak of, I believe is that part of healing, but also the balancing, because Jim is asking a very specific question when he wants to know if, if when he perceives compassion, then he must balance it with wisdom. And nobody can say that, you see? Imagine if Jesus would have asked that. Oh, I'm feeling a lot of compassion. Do I need to balance it with wisdom? No, my friends, you came here as a martyr, but we know that afterwards, of course, and he kind of learned that himself. So, you see, that would be a huge infringement of free will if Jesus would have said, oh, you know, somebody who I deem respectable said, then I, I should balance my compassion with wisdom. Big mistake. So it's always your mission, and only you know your mission, purpose, desire, inclinations, biases, etc. 
Okay, so then they say that to the student of balancing of the balancing process, we need stringent honesty. You see, meticulous or uh, very rigorous application of honesty. So we're talking about honesty, which is wisdom, right? Uh, or is related to wisdom and compassion, which is related to the heart. Now, Ross says that as compassion is perceived, it is suggested that in balancing, this perception of compassion be analyzed. So if you feel compassion, you analyze that compassion. Why is that compassion? Why do you feel compassion? What, what's causing it, you see? And I like when they say that many, many essays into compassion uh, may be needed or may take place before uh, true universal love is the product of this attempt of opening and crystallizing the, the heart. You see, because when the mind gets into analysis, and uh, this is just my flavor of interpretation to this, so please, uh, my disclaimer is that I, I don't know but this is just my interpretation. I feel like this is one of those things that need to be um, internalized and everybody can draw their own conclusions. But if I can provide any um, any insights of my, my own experience into this, I would say that it is very evident that when we, when we feel this compassion, we need to see what's causing it. You see, what, what is happening there? I'll give, you, I'll give you my own example. Because I was initially um, introduced to spirituality through New Age information, because I never had a, a guide or a master, a guru. Um, it, it's not really true. I had a friend who was... who who would talk to me about this, but he wasn't truly a guide, although I consider him a guide at the beginning because all my questions were directed to him, although he wasn't always available. <laughs> but the time that he was available, he was very much into New Age stuff and Drumvalo and ge uh, sacred geometry and that kind of stuff. So I was, uh, I was attracted to that because I said, well, you know, this is it, you know, this is the path. Uh, and New Age left me with a sort of imprint into this opening of the heart that was you know it was emphasized you gotta open your heart you gotta open your heart and i was actually told uh you are a very rigid person you need to melt into love you need to feel this love and get into this compassion uh, and you know i bought it and i said yes you know I, I need to be compassionate and of course i started to feel a lot of compassion and love and all this um, cloying uh, <laughs> feeling of, you know, wanting to be good for others and all this. But as I analyzed it, I, f I felt that it was too much and it was forced and it was not natural in me. And my, my own uh, apparent rigidity was kind of left aside. Uh, this might have happened in the first couple of months of my my path until I actually found the law of one and started to get a little bit more into the knowing of things, at least in a coherent way. So, you see, what seemed to be, for me, an all-compassionate, you know, I need to be very compassionate and all of this stuff, I needed to be honest with myself. Am I this cloying person? Am I this... Uh, all loving person that just wants to do great for others and you know I'll take every insult and all these things well it turns out that no I'm not uh, I I love my reasoning and my logic and when I apply that to whatever I felt now as compassion it just seemed right and it continues to be right so in, in my case, I can attest to Ra saying that it'll take many, many essays into compassion uh, before true universal love is the product of this attempt at opening. And I don't think it's just like your heart is, you know, turned off and it takes a lot to finally open. Uh, I take it, and again, this is just my interpretation, that crystallization happens over time as you activate more this um, 
this 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 heart and you understand it better so the more you you expose yourself to to this acceptance the more you can understand it uh, i'll talk about something else that is uh, my my own methodology of life my own lifestyle my own uh, the teachings of what i do and and what i base my uh, my existence on um, but i want to read a little bit more of what ross said here so so far we have that uh, we have compassion needs to be uh, scrutinized with honesty that's what i would say it needs to be scrutinized with honesty and it may turn out to be that you are a very compassionate person and you develop this in uh, individual expression of love in it's all it's all very dependent there, there's no no one recipe that's the thing but let's see what Ross says they say thus the student may discover many other components to what may seem to be all embracing love each of these components may be balanced and accepted as part of the self and as transitional material as the entity's seat of learned teaching moves ever more fairly into the green ray. So here's where I will share a bit of what this, this looks for me. And it continues to be my many, many essays into the heart. Because the heart is an infinite. It's an infinite resource. Let me put it this way. The heart is an infinite resource. and. In a way, all you're doing is giving yourself up to love as the guiding force of your life. The amount of wisdom that you uh, that you shape this love with, it's individual. See, uh, I hope that helps you visualize it. See, imagine the heart as being this infinite resource of how you you can be. And wisdom, or lack of wisdom, for that matter, also, is shaping the manifestation of that love, you see? So, yes, uh, I would I would call it that. I, I think that's a beautiful way to put it, at least the way I see it. So, you, you're always living from the heart, but you're constantly seeing, you know, what this, this, this love is, this compassion is. So that's why Ra says that the student may discover many other components that, uh, to what may seem to be all embracing love. And so all each of these components or all of these components may be balanced and accepted, maybe, it's not have to, but may be balanced. You see, that depends on you and accepted as part of the self. Uh, these components are the things that, I'll give you an example. Something that me and Julie are uh, very different. Whenever she is uh, making strides into her own heart, she gets very emotional and feels this um, this very strong. And it could be just watching the sun reflected on the lake, or it could be you know seeing beyond the ego of somebody and seeing their true essence and how. You know that inner child is there it could be any of these things that are are pure love and she gets a very emotional reaction to it and she feels you know this this is the artist's uh, view of reality it, it's a very uh, very intense feeling whereas me when i see this i get inspired by it i feel a, a jolt of emotion but, a, 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 you know, like a, wow, you know, like it's just this great. I just love it. And again, it's almost like laughter uh, or the, 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 should I call it, the precursor of laughter is just intensified in me. You know, it's just this intense feeling. So all of these components are part of who we are and how we deal with this feeling of love of acceptance of wowness <laughs> that's exactly what we're trying to balance here or uh, they're naturally balanced by the simple acceptance of who you are right i think that's a great way to put it um 
And also, Ra says, take it as transitional material. Don't identify with it. Oh, that's beautiful. You see, don't identify with it. Just say, this is how it's happening and this is what I'm feeling. That's part of me. That's, that simply is. Trust me, it will change because the heart as it crystallizes shows many more facets. So don't identify with it. Take it as transitional material, as the entity's seat, the chair of learned teaching moves ever more fairly into the green ray. See, that's another way of don't get attached to whatever it is that you see and say, that's me. Just let it go. And if it's still there, you know it's part of you. And if it's gone, you have no attachment to it. All right, let's, let's continue this beautiful answer. Ross says, when it is perceived that universal love has been achieved, the next balancing may or may not be wisdom. If the adept is balancing manifestations, it is indeed appropriate to balance universal love and wisdom. If the balancing is of mind or spirit, there are many subtleties to which the adept may give careful consideration. Love and wisdom, like love and light, are not black and white, shall we say, but faces of the same coin, if you will. Therefore, it is not in all cases that balancing consists of a movement from compassion to wisdom. So, again, I, I invite you to reread this paragraph um, because you may find more individual things for yourself. Uh, but I'll attempt again to just keep using my own experience and what I feel and how I uh, interpret all of this. So, once it is perceived that universal love has been achieved, and I'll give you, I'll give you two reference points. Universal love is that feeling in which there is no self involved. See, that's the key thing of universal love. You can't be involved in the appreciation of what's happening. It is just know you, pure experience, pure knowing. Okay. So when perceiving a situation, a person, uh, a thought pattern, anything in the inside or the outside, you are not involved and you see it without being attached or having resistance to it, that is universal love. You're engaging in that universal love. That's why in non-duality, we move straight into the recognition of who you are because in the recognition of who you are there is no ego self and so if you reinforce the view from your actual true self everything else dissolves all that we pursued in metaphysics and spirituality it is achieved by this knowing of and living it's not just knowing but accepting who you are that's what ra also echoes when they say Know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. Uh, it's all over the place. The, the, this is really the final key to the mystery of the universe, is knowing yourself. It truly is. I, I, I will never in my lifetime stop talking about this because there is nothing more important in this world than knowing who you are, which is not to be confused with what is my mission as a wanderer or starseed or what is my mental configuration and who I am, who I was in my previous incarnation. All of this is form. Form is limitation. Limitation is not true identity. True identity is infinite being, which you are and you can experience here. No, you don't need to wait until seven density or whatever other density you might have bought into. So you can reinforce your ego to say, oh, I'm still here. I can remain here. I'm safe. <laughs> you can experience this now. In fact, you can only experience it now, not in the future, now and here, of course. So, um, that's one way to see universal love. Um, you have to see it within yourself, of course, but this is just my reference point. And then wisdom is knowing what to do with that love. See, that's why it's not advisable to tell people you need to balance your wisdom or your compassion with wisdom. 
No, you have no idea how they are shaping themselves. Um, you can make available what wisdom is, and if they desire to use it, then hey, your own free will, my friend. So, wisdom to me is how we shape um, this felt detachment from the world, how we decide to shape it. That's why we say that first we open the heart chakra, and then the throat chakra is um, empowered by it. You see, the throat chakra is just how the love is communicated, is, is made into form. So that's what wisdom, uh, it's my reference of wisdom for you. I'll repeat, please feel free to interpret this your own way. I'm just throwing it my own musings and philosophical understandings of all of this, plus a little bit spice of my own experience into the mix. So if the balancing is, um, Okay, so yeah, if the balancing is manifestations, like I said, yes, it is appropriate to balance uh, universal love and wisdom. When what we're trying to balance is this, the physical, the manifestation, the creation, then it is important to balance love and wisdom. Um, why? Because it's manifested and it, you need to uh, create it. It's already formed. So you need to balance these two things. You know how, for example, uh, the world is so terrible. You know, I was watching the other day a video, uh, last night actually, I was watching a video about the, the dark web and all of this, and long story short, it always reminds you of all the atrocities that are um, offered and bought and you know the transactions of the dark web, which are hideous. And so that's creation. Now, how do you balance love and wisdom there? It's completely individual, but it needs to be done. You can't just be all compassionate about that or all, you know, wisdom, which is not really wisdom. It's just uh, pretending to be. So, yeah, you, you have to find that. Whereas if it's the mind or the spirit, then there are subtleties in which the adept may give careful consideration. Why? Because it's not manifested yet. It's part of you. You're perceiving it. It's your choice how to, um, how to perceive this. So if you have certain ideas, fantasies, illusions, uh, desires, and all these things, that's all mental and spiritual uh, situations which can be balanced with both compassion and wisdom. Uh, very, very important. Oh, this is so beautiful and extensive, but <laughs> I don't have the time. Um, all right, so love and wisdom, like love and light, are not black and white. Um, I don't know, I, I don't like this analogy, I have to say, because black and white to me are, you know, two sides of the same coin. So to me, love and light are like black and white. I don't know, maybe with the colors, it's not black and white. That's what Ra meant. I don't know, I just don't like this analogy. However, what they attempt to say here is, um, yeah, black and white, love, light, whatever, it's just all part of the same coin. Um, it is not in all cases that balancing consists of movement from compassion to wisdom. Um, balancing is simply, you know, 90% compassion, 10% wisdom. Great. 100% compassion, no wisdom. Jesus, great. 50-50, uh, 70-30, uh, it doesn't matter. We have no percentages for this. It's just, percentages are so limited. It's a it's an artistic expression of compassion and love for the adept. We're all different. We all have expressions. We should be all different. Okay, let's see. What else do they say? They say, to finish up this, we may suggest at all times the constant remembrance of the density from which each adept desires to move. This density learns the lessons of love. That's their density. In the case of wanderers, there are half-forgotten overlays of other lessons and other densities. We shall leave these considerations with the questionnaire, Jim, and invite observations which may shall, which we shall, um, then be most happy to respond to in what may seem to be a more effectual manner. So, in essence, they remind us that um, depending on which density that the adept desires to move. Uh, so where do you want to move? Uh, which density do you want to move? Um, remind, just big reminder, 
their density is the density in which we learn the lessons of love. So regardless of what lesson or what density we want to move, we want to make great use of the lessons of love here because that's what we're learning here. Um, it's very much available, let's put it that way. So it's a, it's a way to expand your acceptance of all possibilities because you're seeing all kinds of new possibilities here. Let me put this into context. Third density is what shapes the rest of the experience in the universe. Why is that? Because this is the density of choice. You decide here how to live your life in service to others, how to live this mind, how to perceive the universe through this mind in service to others or service to self. In other words, dissolve into unity and see everything as one or see everything as you. Everything is you, me, 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 me. So, of course, the lessons of love are abundant here. Everything is, you know, impregnated by love, but it's not seen that way. So, yes, you, you can train that, right? Um, and in terms of other, for example, wonders, they have half forgotten um, lessons of other densities that they could remember. So that's another thing that need to be needs to be understood and said, okay, you know, and this is why I said, if you identify yourself with a wonder, it's, um, it's a sort of responsibility, not in the sense that we know in our culture, responsibility as a oh, load in my shoulders. No, it's a responsibility of saying, yay, you know, I, I have all of this and I can, I can make use of it. So how do I make use of it? Well, again, you gotta, you have to allow the spontaneous you to be, uh, to be manifested or rather to not be repressed anymore. So we go back to the same principle, separate self, getting rid of the separate self, the soul and separate self and allowing you to be the you, the, the only you that exists. And the rest of what they say is just considerations. Jim, you consider and reflect upon this. And if you want, we can talk about it later. That's it. Let's go to the next question. Don says in question 17, what changes are of functions or control or understanding, etc., of the mind, body, spirits were most effective in producing the evolution desired to due to the veiling process. And Ra says we're having difficulty retaining clear channel through this instrument. It has a safe margin of transfer energy, but it is experiencing pain flares. May we ask that you repeat the query as we have a better channel now. So again, they had issues trying to understand the question and they want Don to repeat it basically. So Don says, after the veiling process, certain veil functions or activities must have been paramount in creating evolution in desired polarized directions. I was just wondering which of these had the greatest effect on polarization. And Ross says, the most effectual veiling was that of the mind. So let's put into context this here because we're going back to pre-veil and post-veil conditions, examining the, the, these changes which yield the experience that we have now. Okay, so um, Don in essence realizes, okay, so there was certain functions that were desired for polarize, uh, for polarization prior to the veil, right? after the veiling process. Oh no, I'm, I'm mistaken. So um, let's take that back. It's after the veiling process. Okay, so certain functions were paramount in creating evolution in a desired polarization. Um, yeah, there's, I, I keep remembering Ross saying that there was no plan function uh, but they were perceived. Uh, so uh, I'm just saying this to take away the notion that these were planned things. 
This is all experimental. Uh, exper experimental. This is all experimental here, meaning that we're just experiencing the the experiment of the veiling process. But Ra says yes that the most effectual veiling was that of the mind. They're very general here. Uh, I think they could have explained a little bit more, but they were very general. However, we get more of a question by Don, where he says. Uh, and this is second to last question that we have, but a long one again, so let's get into it. I would like to carry that on to find out what specific functions of the mind were most effectual and the three or four most effective changes brought about to create the polarization. So he's asking, bear, bear this in mind, uh, no no pun intended, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he's asking about specific functions of the mind and that which were most effective uh, for polarization. Now, Rod's going to say, this is an interesting query. The primary veiling was of such significance that it may be seen to be analogous to the mantling of the earth over all the jewels within the earth's crust. Whereas previously, all facets of the Creator were consciously known. After the veiling, almost no facets of the Creator were known to the mind. Almost all was buried beneath the veil. So that is the unconscious mind. That is what's buried um, beneath the veil that is ignorance, unknowing. You want to look into your conscious mind and you see nothing. You see, it's not totally um, sealed off. Veiling does not mean sealing. So there is a sort of permeability that was allowed and I think that was brilliant because this is what brings us to the inner, uh, inner path. Uh, that's why mystics have all been fascinated with this meditation, prayer, contemplation, whatever you want to call it, is the inward path of knowing that which is you. So we take this step. And that's why you can see that my interest in all of this, raw material, non-duality, of course, uh, Buddhism, Taoism, Zen, etc. All of this brought me to the only important thing that I find in my life, which is the inner self, that, who, that which you are, that which is, the positive path. Uh, and not so much all this mental rambling and conceptualization and steps to do this and that and healing through methodologies of this. Um, you know me for speaking uh, very, um, very rigidly about how those things can be such a distraction, especially when we don't have gurus who are training us on all these steps and things to do and Kundalini awakening and um, Shaktipat and all these things that are uh, thrown out in the new age repertoire are, uh, they were a distraction for me, I confess. And because they were a distraction for me, I wouldn't want this to happen to other people. To those who enjoy it, then Godspeed to you, my friend. But if, if you have gotten already uh, a taste of the raw material and you are seduced by the idea of knowing who you are, then what you're looking for is the mystical path, not some um, 10,000 things to learn so you can somehow become something that you're not already. So this is all about revealing who you truly are as opposed to becoming something that you are meant to be. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Um, it's never worked that way and it's always left disappointment in the way. So, all right, that's what the veiling is. It was um, covering up all those jewels. And I think this analogy is actually pretty cute. I love it because the mantling of the earth uh, over all the jewels that are down there, yes, you know, there's a lot buried in there that is quite useful for us uh, and of a lot of beauty and appreciation for who we are. So that's the same thing. And I'm talking about societal or cultural, how much benefit we can get from digging, you know, the earth. Well, we have explored that 
I mean, a little bit unconsciously, but still we get the benefits of it. And if we do the same with ourselves, then we can see that there are vast resources in the unconscious waiting for us to stop repressing it, basically. Uh, we're not gonna drill into our unconscious, like, you know, man-made stuff. Um, and, and yeah, we're going to subtly await the bubbling of the unconscious mind to say, oh, there it is new things about me and lo and behold i love it so okay everything almost everything was buried beneath the veil what else do they say uh if one were to attempt to list those functions of mind most significant in that they might be of aid in polarization so now this is answering don's question one would need to begin with the faculty of visioning envisioning or far-seeing. Without the veil, the mind was not caught in your illusory time. With the veil, space-time is the only obvious possibility for experience. So this is, uh, I, don't, I really don't know how to interpret this finally, so I'm just gonna open it again to interpretation. I, what does visioning and visioning or far-seeing is? Um, to me, is the capacity of seeing beyond what is this reality. Okay, some people may say far seeing. Oh, that's when you do this astral projection and you look into other people's minds and so on. Uh, yes, that might be a way in which you can use it. I believe that's magical things that you can do, but I don't like to play with magic. I think, in, in fact, I'm using the, the term wrong here in the vocabulary of the. Uh, of the law of one because this is the when I use the term magic here I'm using it in the um, in the way that normally people use it cities for example in um, in Hinduism or Buddhism these are called cities mental powers that's not magic within the law of one that that's mental powers uh, psychic powers I don't think that's what Ra is saying I don't think we uh, we 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 talk about this as polarization. You develop psychic powers, although a lot of people like to talk about this and say you can develop them. Uh, you can develop them, and if you have them, you should you know empower yourself through them. Well, uh, who am I to say don't? But I am, or I feel kind of uh, empowered to say that's not magic. That's not envisioning, visioning, or farseeing. I believe this is, if we're talking about a veiling process, that far-seeing envisioning, envisioning is talking about the unconscious mind. So it's your unconscious mind. It's not other people's or whatever it is, or the universe. I mean, it is the universe, but it is, it is you. It's your universe. It's who you are. And I reinforce this by uh, Ross' continuation when they say, Without the veil, the mind was not caught in your illusory time. So you were not blinded by this idea of time passing. There, you see, with the veil, space-time is the only obvious possibility for experience. So we can only see the unconscious mind out here, reflected in the world. And so you can see another meaning for the world is your mirror. You see, if you accept the world as it is, you accept yourself as you are. Ah, well, harmony is derived from this, peace, and of course, love is the result of this acceptance. So everything checks in if you see the world as that, which is the unconscious mind. You see, it keeps bubbling. The more you get out of your way, the more you dissolve the ego's separate self, then the more of this unconscious mind is able to be reflected out there, and the more you need to accept it. And, you know, it's a dynamic process. It's a beautiful process. And so that's what I think, uh, what I think Ra is saying here. But again, I am, uh, I'm very aware that this can be interpreted in many ways. So I leave that to the consideration of anybody. What does visioning and visioning and far-seeing mean to you? You take it from there. Okay. Next, they say, also, upon the list of significant veil functions of the mind would be that of dreaming. 
The so-called dreaming contains a great deal which, if made available to the conscious mind and use, shall aid it in polarization to a great extent. Now, maybe I'm just blinded by my own bias here, but I think this also uh, fits in within my interpretation. Why? Because the second, the second veil function that is mentioned by Ra, next to this envisioning, right? This conscious envisioning of reality. So let me put it this way. In meditation, you reinforce this view, this envisioning, this capacity of far seeing, this seeing into the unconscious mind or allowing the unconscious mind to be and you simply perceive it, becoming the observer kind of thing, right? So if that is true, what I said, and it's not some other psychic power, which I believe is the other interpretation that comes to mind. Um, and again, I may be limited to this, but I believe it's this, uh, especially because Ra is talking about the veiling of the unconscious mind. So what are the functions that are important after this? Well, digging into the unconscious mind. So no surprise, the second element that they uh, talk about is dreaming. Well, what is dreaming? Dreaming is um, information from the unconscious and subconscious mind because that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the subconscious mind at play and the unconscious mind attempting to balance it, to heal it, to move it uh, into place, to show the conscious mind what's happening. The so-called dreaming contains a great deal which if it's made available to the conscious mind uh, shall aid in its polarization to a great extent because dreaming is a sort of theatrical, um, let's call it um, representation, a, a depiction of your own subconscious mind as it is working right now and what's happening in your life. So what needs to be processed, what needs to be accepted. We'll talk about more dreaming in another session, it might be next one or the following, I don't know. But there's more to say about dreaming and I'll save that for last, or not for last, for, for that session. But let's move on, because we have more. Ross says, the third function of the mind, which is significant and which has been veiled, is that of the knowing of the body. The knowledge of and control over the body, having been lost to a great extent in the veiling process, is thusly lost from the experience of the seeker. Its knowledge before the veiling is of small use. Its knowledge after the veiling and in the face of what is now a dense illusion of separation of body complex from mind complex is quite significant. So that's another important part of knowing the connection of the mind and the body. This is something that in my mentoring, I don't have it in uh, the direct path course because it's a very simplified methodology for um, direct application, but because I'm able to work with people one-on-one, -on -one, I have it as the first module in my mentoring. This is so crucial. When some people get into this part, they say, all right, this is very basic. And I say, yes, everything is so basic in this program, but it is of the most important use because it's basic to the intellect. Yes, you have already, you know all of this, mind, body, all the same thing. What's next? Well, <laughs> the next thing is to actually experience this. Uh, why do you keep thinking you have a body and a mind? That's what it's raw saying here, see? In this dense illusion, separation of body complex from mind complex is quite significant. Uh, so you need to collapse this. This is the first distinction that we make in the direct path at least my version of it, or my way to explaining it and teaching it. First, we make sure that we know that the mind and body are just one thing. We have to corroborate this in our experience. It is not enough to keep it intellectually. It is not enough because you're gonna to continue to live intellectually in this knowing, as opposed to being, becoming, allowing this knowing to be very crucial. So uh, this division of the mind and the body is part of the veiling process. Prior to the veil, this knowledge was insignificant because there was no distinction between mind and body. It was a continuous or a continuum, 
You see, you knew that what the mind was, or the body was, is a... What the body was is a projection of the mind. Or as Ra says, the body is the creature of the mind. So this is not to say... I mean, there are so many things. I won't explore them here because that's, uh, that's a topic on its own. I actually recorded a video talking about how you can explore this. Just one of the small meditations that you can do and into going into the essence of your body. Uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about this. I, I actually um, was inspired by one of his uh, explanations in, in his book. And it is, it's, it's the same thing, you know, it's just connecting to the body, to the energy field of the body, and knowing that the body, it's not really a physical thing. And knowing that your mind is energy and feeling your body as energy is just something, again, empirical. <laughs> this can't be stressed enough. Um, we lose a lot into uh, the intellect by thinking that feeding the intellect is going to give us something. It will never give you anything because that's all illusory abstractions of reality. So yeah, this is a very important point. Um, and yes, because the, the trip or the journey is to return to source. Obviously the first separation, which is this idea of bodies, entities, like I said, raw being an entity that is so far away in another density. How far is it? No, they're not far. They're always here because there is only one place here. There's only one time, it's now. All of this needs to be explored internally. And I can't teach it to you. Nobody can. Uh, it needs to be explored. It's right there. All right, Roth continues actually and says, perhaps the most important and significant function that occurred due to the veiling of the mind from itself is not in itself a function of mind, but rather is a product of the potential created by this veiling. This is the faculty of will or pure desire. Um, I'm going to read the rest, the last part, just because it's it's of no relevance. And they just simply say, we may ask for brief queries at this time. Although there is energy remaining for this working, we are reluctant to continue this contact, experiencing continual variations due to pain flares, as we call this distortion. Although we are unaware of any misgiven material, we are aware that there have been several points during which our channel was less than optimal. This instrument is most faithful, but we do not wish to misuse this instrument. Please query as you will. So this paragraph is simply saying, we have to go. Um, this body is not, uh, it's less than optimal at this point in, or several points. So we gotta go, let's finish this. But the last paragraph or the second to last paragraph when they said perhaps the most important and significant function that happened after the veiling was not something in the mind in and of itself, but rather the faculty uh, of will and pure desire, desire, which is a product of the potential that is created by this veiling. So the strengthening of this will, this, this is another point that I have been, uh, I've, I've been stressing a lot in this material because I think is, it's obviously the focal point of our creation or manifestation it's will or pure desire your will directed at whatever it is is what's creating the world you just don't know this because you think the world is created and you are in it when you reverse this view and say i'm creating the world and i am in charge my will is the most important thing because where am i focusing in you see so much can come out of this discussion, but I won't get into it. I'll just leave it for your consideration. Because again, is, uh, as Ross says, perhaps the most important significant function after the veiling was this intensification of will or pure desire. There's a lot to be said there. But there's only a little bit more to say in the session, and that's question 20, which is the end, but there's a little bit of information that is not the repetitive one. Last question, question 20, Don says, well, I will just ask in closing, is an individualized portion or entity of Ra inhabiting the instrument's body for the purpose of communication? And then is there anything that we can do to improve the contact or make the instrument more comfortable? Good question. Ra says, 
we of Ra communicate through narrowband channel through the Violet Ray Energy Center. We are not, as you would say, physically indwelling in this instrument. Rather, the mind-body-spirit complex of this instrument rests with us. And so, this is the part that I mentioned. That, um, it's the way in which Ra communicates. At the beginning of this video, um, an episode, I said that there was a question further along that it was going to be um, about the communication with Ra. And so this is the clarification. Don thinks that Ra is inhabiting Carla's body, but it's rather that they are manipulating the body. Um, they're moving the body, as it were, with their, their narrowband channel. This is what creates a lot of the, the issues, like I said, because the information that is being channeled through is very delicate. And it's coming from a density of consciousness, which can, you see, if you want to understand this, imagine we talked about the, the unconscious mind, right? So imagine going to your conscious mind and allowing this information to come coherently. It always comes in a very strange way. You know, it, it's not easy to put in together. So Ra to me is communicating from that depth of the mind into Carla, you see. So uh, I don't think there is a difference between uh, conscious mind and unconscious mind and the energy centers as being, you know, this, physicality and then the subtleties of the spiritual realm so in the densities i i've always gotten this vision that the densities are actually inside of us i mean we can see first second and third here and we can feel fourth because we are on that density but all the other densities are deeper and deeper within the within the self and so this universe really begins at the singularity which is you and it expands all the way to the illusion of separation, which is the, the lower energy centers. So if you can invert, as opposed to seeing yourself vertically, um, somehow, in a way, instead of seeing yourself vertically and shooting up to space, <laughs> that's the seven density. Is it up there? No, seven density is totally inside. It's the portal between nothingness and you-ness, the feeling of you. So let's tilt the verticality of the energy centers and pull it this way. That's how I would see it. So it makes sense that Ra is communicating through the violet ray, which is probably the closest one um, to the instrument or the instrument being a microcosm to communicate this knowledge. Ra was not indwelling in, um, in Carla. And of course, even though Ra or Don said uh, an individualized portion or the entirety, right? Is an individualized portion or entity of Ra? No, it, it, it's, just, it's just Ra. Ra's information is a big database. It's like saying uh, which part of the, the computer, you know, or the hard drive is communicating to me. Well, the files that are produced are, you know, different. Those are the words, but they're all coming from the same hard drive. That's raw. And finally, I will read the beautiful um, closing of raw when they say, you are diligent and conscientious. The alignments are excellent. We leave you rejoicing in the power and in the peace of the one infinite creator. Go forth then, my friends, rejoicing in the power and in the peace of the infinite love and the ineffable light of the, of the one creator. I am Ra, Adonai. So that's, that's it. That's all we got. And beautiful way to end it. Conclusions. Unconscious minds. Uh, I recently made a post on my Instagram, which if you didn't know, I have an Instagram in which I post um, 
things much more related to my my lifestyle of what bubbles up as part of this um, this this view that has been seated in me for the past years and which I have um, compacted in my my one-on-one teachings or guidance mentorship whatever you want to call it I'm just here to show you this path of knowing yourself see even Ollie gets excited about that so yeah it, it's just a beautiful beautiful teaching that I am so glad I was able to uh, to find and apply it in myself and applying it to others or watching other people apply it is such a beauty. So I posted there recently about this resistance that we have to the present moment and why this resistance is the conscious mind afraid of dissolving itself into the unconscious mind Little does it know that the conscious mind owes its existence to the conscious, to the unconscious mind. So breaking that resistance, which we have to the present moment, which feels uncomfortable. Oh, I don't know how to meditate. Uh, thoughts are rushing in in this and that way, and uh, visions are distracting me, and all of the, that's the conscious mind fighting to not dissolve itself into the present moment where it's precursor lies where you can feel all of this and of course this is partly because we haven't learned who we truly are so we think we are the conscious mind we're still confused by it and so we generate a separate self but if you allow yourself to dissolve into this nothingness which is not nothingness is the you-ness that i call the singularity of self then everything will be perceived as um as it is, oh, um, the doors of perception, right? When they're cleansed, everything will perceive, will be perceived as it is. Uh, perfect, is it? I forget. So, yeah, this this is what we're talking about here in this session, at least this last part. And I would suggest that you go down that path because, in my experience, it has been the most liberating thing. Continues to be. And everything, everything that we talked about here, hard crystallization, everything comes from from here. This is the pure acceptance of uh, of reality. So, again, I know I sound repetitive, but there's only one thing that is of importance, and that is knowing who you truly are. That being said, that's the end of session 85. I don't know what session 86 awaits us. I know that dreaming is coming up soon. And maybe in the next session, I don't remember. Uh, but we have much to say about dreams. And I have to say, I'm not an explorer of dreams. I, I have some experience, but it's interesting. It's a very interesting topic. But nothing else to say. I thank you always for listening. Remember to check the description for ways to get in touch with me or know more about my work. And that's it. Be well. Be happy, enjoy your life, and I'll see you in session 86.